Hello, and welcome to episode 70 of the Cognicast, a podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people that create it. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Uh, so a few things I want to talk to you about this week. Uh, so here we are in 2015. Early 2015 means Closure West. It will, in fact, be in Portland, Oregon, April 20th to 22nd, back at the Girding Theater, which is where it was two years ago. Uh, tickets aren't on sale yet. There's no prices yet, but be aware it's coming. Um, always a good conference. Uh, so hope you can check it out. I might be there myself. We'll have to see this year. All right, so other things I want to mention is there are a few um, meetups, uh, closure meetups that are worth mentioning, look pretty cool. There's a couple um, being done by the Bay Area Closure Meetup. If you just search for Bay Area Closure Meetup, you'll find more info. Um, hopefully you hear this in time. The On Tuesday, January 13th, uh, there are the factual office hours, and then there's the regular meetup, if I'm uh, reading this right, the regular meetup on Thursday, uh, January 15th. Both, I'm sure, great events, a lot of excellent experienced closureians, very friendly people in the Bay Area, so that'll be good. Also want to mention the Austin Closure Meetup. Um, they have what looks, I think, like their regular meetup on uh, Monday, January 12th. Um, hopefully this episode will go out before then, but if not, keep your eye on the Austin Closure Meetup website and catch the next one. Uh, they also, I want to mention this, have a tentative, at least according to the website, it's tentative, but if I hope it happens, it, it'd definitely be worth your time to go. Um, Closure Bridge Curriculum Hack Day. Um, again, you can find this by searching for Austin Closure Meetup and the information will be there for you on the internet. So, um, cool. I wanted to mention those. I think it's neat that all the different user groups are going on. Um, uh, obviously, search their website for more info. I didn't, uh, I, I just kind of looked around and we, we found those and they look cool, so I thought I'd mention them here. But I will cease blabbing in this part of the show and go on to the other part of the show where hopefully the guest does a bunch of talking and my blabbing is kept to the minimum. So uh, now, episode 70 of the Cognicast. Good. So, all right. Welcome, everybody. Today is Wednesday, October 29th in the year 2014, and this is the Cognicast. I am extremely pleased today to welcome a guest who, in, in many ways, I think is the more successful and better looking version of myself. I'm speaking, of course, about <laughs> podcaster, blogger, speaker, educator, developer, et cetera, et cetera, Scott Hanselman. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hi. How are you? Great. Yeah. So it, it's really great to have you on for any number of reasons. Before we get to that, I want to do the thing that we do at the beginning of the show, which is to ask you for the song that we played in on. What would you like us to play you in on? I have been getting into this uh, this nerdcore rapper called Samus Music. And uh, Samus uh, has a song called Crown. And she is a nerdcore rapper who is a PhD candidate at Cornell with a rap on the side. 
So she's, she's doing PhD. She's more accomplished than I think. I don't know. Do you have a PhD? Uh, no, no. Okay. This makes her better than you. Okay. Uh, are you a nerdcore rapper? I don't think so. Uh, I'm a nerd, so, but the other two parts, yeah. no, yeah. She she actually tours and, and, and does research on the side. So certainly a better person than both of us, uh, at least as far as uh, the amount of work that she's getting done. And uh, what's great is that Samus, if you'll remember, is the name of the main character in Metroid. <laughs> yes. So peppered throughout her lyrics are references to video games long past and Super Nintendo and all these amazing things. And I just think she's the best. She's going to be on my show soon, and you can catch her touring all over the place, and soon she will be famous. That is fantastic, and, and people are hearing... Uh... A bit of that music right now, but so, but I, I want to. You mentioned you know uh, busy and productive and accomplished, and these are all words that I would definitely apply to you. I I, I mean I ran into you first quite a long time ago. To me, I mean arguably a career ago. I've I've sort of taken a different path. When I was back in the Microsoft world, though, I, I would run into you quite frequently. Although somewhat disappointingly to me, at least, never in person. Or well, not never. One time. We met for 10 seconds at some tech ed or PDC somewhere. but oh, I hope I wasn't mean. Not at all. You were quite polite. You're like, I'm sorry. I have to be, what, oh, you know, you had 10 seconds. Good. You were going someplace. But, uh, okay, good. You know, but, but I'm familiar with your work. I mean, I, I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with your work, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't quite a few of them since you are quite a prolific podcaster, among other things. You have, what, three podcasts now? Is that right? I've got one main show. You can see them all at Hanselman dot com slash podcast. The main show is called Hansel Minutes. It turned out to be kind of a narcissistic title. It was not intended as such because it was meant to be a joke on me being such a lousy estimator. Oh, and right. I would, tell, I would tell people when something would be done and they would say, well, is that how many Hansel Minutes is that going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically like fresh air for developers. If you listen to uh, NPR, uh, I've got another show with Rob Connery that we do occasionally, I might say quarterly, and it's called This Developer's Life. So both of those shows, if you are fans of NPR, I think that you would enjoy. Hansel Minutes started out as mostly a .NET show, but this has been seven years now I've been doing this show. And it is decidedly not a .NET show anymore. It is literally fresh air for developers. I had, uh, I had a guy on who talked about what it's like to have a number one app. I had a SaaS person on last week. I had the CTO of JPL and NASA on. I had Scott Adams from Dilbert. Oh, on the show, I had the guy who invented the bionic pancreas on CTO of uh, Cisco. Had a junior developer who'd just been in the industry for a year. Uh, had a you know talked to a blind software technician. So very diverse, probably the most diverse show you can you can possibly find in the podcasting space as far as topics and uh, short of yours, I would think. Uh, well, I don't know about short of mine, but we do actually strive for a similar type of. I mean, obviously, we focus on the technologies that we uh, we being Cognitech you know, focus on. But, but sure. yeah, we've done, we try to do other things as well. As people might be aware, we did a show with uh, Joey Holloway, the wife of our, one of our founders who suffers from depression. We talked about that and we've done other things off the usual track as well. So, but you know, it's funny to me as you were listing all those names, all super interesting people with very impressive resumes. <laughs> but, but of course the one that made me go, Oh, was uh, Scott Adams. <laughs> The cartoonist. So that's uh, well. The reason that I had him on was that uh, he's doing a startup. It, so he was doing a restaurant thing for a while. I was following his blog. I assume this is different. He is doing a startup called Calendar Tree, and uh, uh, I wanted to talk to him about why he just doesn't hang out. Like, if you have all the money, why don't you just hang out? Yeah. 
Um, and that is consistently, I've been finding that people who do cool stuff can't stop. I, I talked to uh, Dan Bricklin, who invented the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. If you recall, he made VisiCalc, and he has a, had had for a while a number one uh, iPad application that is also doing very well for him, and just can't stop. You know, he's got to do something cool. So yeah, Calendar Tree is what Scott Adams is doing. So we ended up talking startup and tech decisions. Yeah. So this is interesting, right? I mean, I, I think that that term that gets thrown around a lot these days for people that can't stop doing stuff is, and maybe it's not quite the right term, is is maker. I kind of like the term myself. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you consider yourself a maker. Uh, I think I'm kind of a wannabe maker. <laughs> uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because there's there's the making of software and things like that, but there's also the physicality of making, and that's something that I struggle with a little bit. I wrote a couple of popular blog posts. Uh, one was called Square Foot Gardening for Programmers, where I kind of like attacked the problem of gardening from a programmer's perspective, mm-hmm. a little more structured. And it was just my way of taking the world that I understood and then applying it to a world I did not, which was like, you know, whether it be woodworking or gardening or whatever. I, some people might hear this and say, well, I don't know, I, I built a chair or I built, I built my bedroom set. But for a lot of us, the skill that we have in the virtual world does not necessarily translate into the physical world exactly. And uh, something as simple as cutting some wood and putting together a uh, a, a chair is is a pretty complicated thing. So I, I am working actively right now to become better at uh, at the making of physical things. So I'm trying to learn better soldering because I've forgotten all that from school. I think also makers take for granted how much they know about circuits and resistors. And you got these guys that can just bust out a, a circuit board in like a weekend. And you know, etch it themselves in their garage, and they're like, "Yeah, I built a robot. It gets me soda pop." I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of like the barrier to entry there from like basic Arduino robot to uh, I'm building R2D2 in my garage is pretty intense. So I consider myself a wannabe maker. I saw on your blog uh, that you have been doing a little bit of a foray into um, robotics specifically. Is that is that your? F- I mean, that's kind of an obvious place for software people and I mean I consider myself a software person I suspect you would identify that way primarily sure. as well uh, is that is that kind of your focus or are you more interested in just in general making stuff in the world um well the robotics thing has been on and off for years this was just the most recent thing I'm doing because I've got little kids I like maker I want my kids to be makers first and consumers second mm. you know I, I I think there's a lot of we're, we're raising a, a a generation of Nintendo DS like people they just wander around with their heads down so i'm trying to do a little bit of a spin on that i've got the kids doing uh, like we built a a, a mame arcade so i've got a full-size arcade cabinet in my room here they're playing uh, we went to the retro arcade uh, convention last week and they play super nintendo first so they don't have a nintendo they have a super nintendo mm-hmm. uh, instead of like the latest 3d ds portable they have a uh, a little linux based thing called a gcw zero that lets you play nintendo and sega but we went to the retro arcade convention and talked to the people who are making new super nintendo games Think about that. We actually had a person who had released a brand new game for Intellivision, written from scratch. So in 2014, a new game for Intellivision has finally come out. There were bunch of these things. So I want the kids thinking about not just Raspberry Pi, but what else could we make, you know? So wrap all of that up. I think that I uh, am a 
trying to be a problem solver more than a maker. Mm. Whether that problem be solved by software or hardware or a combination of those things, and I want the kids to be that way as well. There's a couple things in there I wouldn't mind uh, delving into. I guess the maybe one we can tackle is um, kids. We've talked about that a few times on this show before, and of course, it's a popular topic among programmer parents. Are, have you cracked uh, open any kind of programming with your kids yet? I've been doing some Scratch and very recently some Python with my ten-year-old, uh, but I, I'm wondering if you've had any. You actually wrote Baby Smash. Now that I think about it, is that I'm I'm remembering that right, aren't I? Yeah, BabySmash.com. Uh, actually, it gets a lot of downloads. Yeah, it's fun. several thousand people discover Baby Smash. Uh, it's one of those things that I was going to turn into Toddler Smash, and then like Small Child Smash, and basically uh, <laughs> kids would build sentences and stuff. It was going to be a platform for education, but right now it's just a toy for babies. But it'll entertain your kids for a couple of years before they grow out of it. Oh yeah, uh, my kids definitely played it as well. Um, but, but to, sorry, to come back to the question, have you done any programming with your kids? No, they're ju- the, the first grader is just starting to read uh, at a level of um, competency. The third grader is more of an artist, and he really wants to draw. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on the screen with them. I'm really judicious about screen time. You know, there's 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 some implicit judgment there because everyone thinks that they're doing the best job they can from a parenting perspective. So certainly people who are listening will not agree. But I try to keep them down to 20 or 30 minutes of screen time a couple of times a week. So we're talking about very minimal screen time. I realize that's very different than how we grew up. I know that I spent four to six hours every Saturday in front of a computer. Mm. But I, I don't think yet at their age they are quite at a disadvantage. I know that at some point not letting them use the computer will put them at some disadvantage, but they're little boys and I let them do little boy things. So they're poking things with sticks now. They do have a game called, uh, what's that thing called? Robots? Robot Turtles. It's a Kickstarter and it's basically logo, except it's a physical logo. Mm, right? Gotcha. So yep. they're, they're writing programs with game pieces and cards. But um, other than a little Minecraft and uh, then the, the very, very basic like blinky type stuff of the, of the, of the Netduino and the Arduino, uh, I don't have them programming yet. Yeah, I, I'm actually um, not in a totally dissimilar spot. I mean, as you say, there's a certain level of basic literacy. I mean, actual being able to read that's required. So I haven't gotten into it with the, the younger one yet. And the older one, we don't, we don't do a ton. I've been trying to chip out some time on a weekly basis because... She's at this spot in her life right now where she just kind of wants to be me. I don't expect that to last, but it does translate into her saying, I want to be a programmer. <laughs> and the struggle I have is somewhat with the same yeah. thing with we don't want to do a ton of screen oriented stuff like all the time, but also like she's 10. And my, my challenge right now is basically to make it stay fun for long enough that we can actually start for real, which I don't think is is really yet like she needs to be 12 14 before we can start saying okay what does abstraction mean stuff like that yeah yeah i i I do talk about things a lot though with them and i get them uh you know like we'll go through let's use this kind of kind of everyday example like we're driving in the car and we go through a yellow light so then we'll talk on the drive to wherever that we are going about that yellow light and why did it turn yellow and what caused it to turn yellow and the timer behind it and you know how could we improve that system. So I've got them talking and thinking about systems. Mm-hmm. And we, we also spend a lot of time at, at, at Goodwill. 
And we spend time at Goodwill because that's where you, Goodwill, of course, for people, it's like, you know, old tech. It's a, uh, what's, what's that other place? Not Goodwill, but the Shriners. And Salvation the, Army? Salvation Army, right? It's where, it's like, it's a permanent garage sale, right? That uh, <laughs> you, know, you always find something there. So they've seen tape players and they've seen eight tracks and they, they have a CD player and they, they think about old tech because those are the things that we built on top of, right? So they know what was wrong with cassettes and how DVDs built on top of that and how Blu-rays built on top of that. I bought them recently an Alpha writer. It's like a typewriter, uh, like a small portable typewriter. I, okay. I want. I feel like, and this is my opinion as an old guy, that you know some of the early early twenty year olds are missing out on the, the 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 real sense of what the past looked like. And um, they, they, they can intellectualize the abstraction layer, but they don't really know what's going on. You know what I mean? And I think the way you learn that is by living it and doing it and tearing apart a boombox with a, with a Leatherman tool. So that's a, that's a common thing that we'll do is we'll go to Goodwill, we'll get an old piece of tech, and we will disassemble it in the garage with a Leatherman tool. Mm. Yeah, just, no. just rip it apart, right? It's good. It gets them an opportunity to see the internals, and we talk about the layer of abstraction. So whether it be talking about traffic patterns in the car or pulling apart boomboxes, I think there's a, an implied uh, educational direction for them. Yeah, and I like that because uh, with the older stuff, when you take it apart, you can actually, maybe not always, but you can see more what's happening. There's a motor. It turns, not just there's a magnet yes. inside a piece of plastic. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Exactly. Gosh, there was something else I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, we actually know. I remember now. It's it's it's. Um, so, do, do you apply that same approach to your work? I mean, because what I mean specifically is, uh, you know, you talked about the value of understanding where we came from. You know, I'm a I'm a professional Lisp programmer, right? I program in Closure every day. I'm, I'm in some sense, uh, in some very sense, very much not, but in some sense, I am using an older technology, and I can see things kind of a little bit more where they where they came from i i guess maybe you could argue that either way but mm, couldn't you argue that that the 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 background of c and that everyone you know the existence of c that everyone who's doing work in a reasonably curly brace related language is is coding c every day i mean I that's would, a bit of a stretch but, I would, so i would be happy to see that point regardless so we can, we can just leave that part aside there is however in the closure community i think it's it's fair to say a well, there's a joke at least, right? Which is that if you want to write a great closure library, go back to the 70s, find a paper, <laughs> and implement it because now the hardware has caught up, and like several people have done this sort of thing. And I mean, it's not exclusive to closure, but it's it's enough of a thing that we that we joke about it sometimes. And so you know, there's a sense in which forget about language, right? There's a sense in which I think in programming, there's also a degree to which we currently, the overall industry, not referring to any particular community, has lost touch with the past. Um, mm -hmm. do, do you feel that to be true? And do you do anything in your work to, to counteract that in your own approach to technology? That's complicated. I'm not sure how I can answer that. Try, try yeah. it to another angle. Well, so, I mean, this, this, part of the reason I'm having difficulty with the question is you know, I feel like I'm behind the curve on this one as well. I don't have a computer science education. I was an electrical engineer in school, and so I feel mm. like, you know, there are certain things that I never did. I never took a compiler's class. Oh, you see, so I feel the exact other side of that coin, right? I'm, 
I'm looking at this uh, this person who took an iPad and a stick and an RC car and a Arduino and over the weekend busted out a custom chip and got the thing set up for uh, a poor man's remote proxy, right? You know those $10,000 deals where it's like a giraffe iPad and he drives it around the remote office? This guy built one with an RC car and an Arduino over the weekend. So I'm like, oh, I can do that. Well, as soon as it gets into the developing of the custom chip that, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I took my multimeter and I figured out how the RC car's remote control worked. And then I hooked it up to the GPIO. I, I can intellectualize all of that, except for the part where I try to build it and I burn the thing up because I don't really understand voltage and amperage. Mm-hmm. You see my point? Yep. Like, that's something that you sound, I'm guessing that you've got that baked in, right? That's in your DNA. I missed that. So now I'm old, I go online, and there's two kinds of tutorials online. There's build an Arduino robot from a kit, and then there's I built a custom chip to get this blinking light thing working on an old deck. That the, and it's like, whoa, whoa, like how did you get from step zero to step 16? You know what I mean? There's no Code Academy, yep. Khan Academy for learning that stuff, I think. I think you're totally right, and I think, well, so, and I would bring it back to software and say that to I think that there is a lack of that intermediate level as well. So we're a fairly new mm. language, Clojure. And I think um, if you look, there are quite a few excellent resources if what you want to do is get to the point where you can read the syntax, mm-hmm. you know, which and honestly, it's, as a lisp, it's fairly small. So there's not a ton of syntax anyway, but whatever, you, you get to that point. And then there's actually a lot of discussion happening about, well, I built this particular system this way. But I think... I think this is true broadly. I certainly see it in our community where that bit, that sort of level 201 stuff mm-hmm. is either hard to find or non-existent. And yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So we kind of wandered off the original point, but that's okay. Do you, so <laughs> let me come back to you because I've been out of the Microsoft space for a long time, right? And okay. Well, five years, I guess that's a long time, but... That's an eternity. I suppose, yeah. It, it, uh, do, do you think that's true? Well, your, is your primary language C-sharp still? That is. Uh, I think I think that people should learn JavaScript and one other language. Like I realize that the idea that everyone should be a polyglot is 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 good. Everyone should also learn all Romance languages plus Chinese and Arabic. But still, it's not necessarily reality. <laughs> I think a systems language and JavaScript. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so C sharp and JavaScript. Okay. So all right. And when you said systems language, I heard back end I... stuff. Something that you can do that doesn't run in the browser. Some real language and gotcha. JavaScript. Okay, so um, I guess what I want to come back to, though, is the question of, do you, th- do you think that's true in the C-sharp world? Is there, is there a lack of, like, you go to a conference, and it's the same thing. It's like there's intro material, at least the ones I go to, there's intro material and advanced material, and there's not a lot, like, in between. Is, that, is the same thing true where you live? And I you speak at a lot of conferences, so would you say that's true? Yeah, I think that there's, there are people who, you know, there's, there's like, the, there's the intro stuff, there's a gap. 150, 200 level, and then there's internals of the compiler type classes. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably true. And that's a constant bit of tension, though. You know, it's not something that's going to ever get solved. We are always kind of oscillating back and forth between what's beginner, right? Because even beginner stuff that we think is the most basic beginner still assumes that you know a thousand different things. Mm-hmm. I did a blog post recently called 100 technical things that non-technical people can do to make their lives easier. Because I was sitting down with my wife, and she had come in with uh, – she borrowed one of my podcasting uh, devices, right? She records a lecture. 
she comes to me and says, I recorded this two-hour lecture. She's becoming a nurse. Uh, can you share this with my friends? Okay, easy problem, right? So I'll, she gives me a 500-megabyte WAV file. <laughs> okay, and I'm like, okay, well, save that as an MP3, stick it in Dropbox, and share it. Right. Think about that from layers of abstraction. How simple is that sentence for you and I? Right. And quite, this, is a, this is a woman with multiple degrees who speaks five languages and has an MBA. And you, you can't say that someone who doesn't know how to do that is not smart. You, you say that, well, I'm, you, know, that, you know the whole thing where like, oh, I'm a computer person, where you meet a neighbor and who's not technical, and what does the neighbor do? Oh, you're a computer person? Like they've literally just put you in a little box. Yeah. They said, and and it's, they've not defined you by what you know. They've defined you by what they don't. They've said, I'm a, you're a computer person. That's their way of declaring, I am not a computer person. I'm never going to be a computer person. Computers are Baroque and obscure, and I, I give up. I have Gmail. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's all implied in, oh, so you're a computer person. I had to go through and like think about all the things my wife didn't know. Like a real sense of how big a gigabyte is. You know what I mean? No yeah. idea. How right. do you learn that? There's no class. Uh, lossy versus lossless compression. JPEGs versus PNGs. You know? Who teaches you that? Who teaches you the sense of, of smell that is required to say, I probably shouldn't click on that link in my email? Is there a class for that? And that gets to the whole thing about uh, the article, the thing that Planet Money did recently. If you saw the uh, post on how why women got out of of uh, technology, I saw 80s, a reference to it, uh, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, but the the basic idea is that you show up for computer science one hundred and one, and if you don't know certain basics, then you are at a disadvantage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that your point about you know one hundred level, two hundred level, all those things—it's all valid and very very interesting problem, but back up even farther and talk about what we just were going over with my kids, right? Like, is there some fundamental aspect of email that I'm not teaching them and then one day they're going to be 25 at school and do something stupid and not realize, you know? Where do you pick up all this stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, one could ask the question, where did we pick it all up, of course? And uh, and the answer yeah. is that, I don't know if you're like me, but I've been breathing this stuff since I was 10, <laughs> Roughly. Exactly. Yeah. And if, if you're not breathing it since you were 10, then what do you do? You know, you, you gotta run catch up. And, and I'll meet really, really talented, really interesting, really amazing new JavaScript programmers, but maybe they don't know the difference between a PNG and a JPEG or why. You know what I mean? And should they? I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, even, even as a, I guess, I, I feel justified in saying that I'm an experienced developer. There's still, I still feel like there's an infinity I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness! Of course, like like look at the uh, the the whole conversation we just had a minute ago about uh, circuits, right? Right. You know, I'm a professional engineer for almost 25 years, and I, I know I know my volts and my amps, but I, I can't tell a re resistor by looking at it. You know, I know that there's some codes and I could look them up, but I'm ashamed that I probably could not put together. Maybe ashamed is too strong, but. You know, I'm disappointed in myself that I did not figure out how to put together this robot without a lot of searching around. That well, makes I, me feel sad. If it makes you feel any better, so I, you know, earlier I mentioned I have a master's degree in electrical engineering, and and you said, oh, well, then you know all this stuff. And the truth is, I don't, right? Like that was a. I mean, this comes back to what you were saying is, I, you know, I have a degree essentially in linear algebra, 
right? Uh, Which is not at all the same thing as having been taught how to build things. I mean, I'm sure I have a a couple more tools, assuming they haven't rusted to nothingness in that, Mm -hmm. you know, department. But, but really, you know, there's a, there's a whole other aspect of, of practical knowledge versus um, academic, if you will. Yeah. 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 It's, it's tough. There's the, you know, you only know what you don't know. I don't know a lot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'll race you <laughs> yeah i'll race you to how much we don't know exactly yeah. learn to think that's what i need to get these little kids to do learn to think that's exactly right one of the conversations we have had a lot and i feel like it's really been paying off is um the one there's a song by um i don't remember the artist it's a kid's song and it's everything's relative after all and mm. that one came up and it's you know how small is small how tall is tall and i that's one that just has paid off for me in conversations with my kids big time when I when I hear them saying things like, is it very far? And I say, well, what's very far? They, they've started to preempt that part of the conversation. And I, you, know, you were talking about systems thinking. I feel like there's, there's, that's an aspect of that, of being able to step back and say, well, what do I, what do I really mean here? Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that, that I've been really happy to see that that eventually sunk in. So mm-hmm. anyway. Gosh, you know, I want to make sure I, uh, I talk to you about a, a bunch of the other things you've been doing. Actually, you know, one thing I'd like to ask you about is, since again, since I have been out of the Microsoft space for a while, and you're in it, and, you know, closures to functional language, a lot of our listeners are interested in other functional languages as well. Have you done much with F-sharp? Um, I, have, I have not. I mean, I, I, I know how it works. I know it versus Haskell. I did Haskell in, in school. Uh, other than being shamed regularly by the F-sharp community that I have not spent enough time doing it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's just not the way my brain works yet, and I have not taken the... T- I think of F-sharp for me as being like the Dvorak keyboard of the programming language world. <laughs> yes, like, yes. I know it's better, but every time I try to do it, I feel so unproductive for the first two weeks that I don't make it past that two-week period. So the Dvorak people on the other side of the gap continue to look down at me with disdain. And I know that they're better and superior people than I am. But I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry, I can type really fast and QWERTY. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I'm actually sitting in front of, you know, the Ergodox keyboard. It's a split ergonomic oh, keyboard. Oh, see? Now you're just showing off. Uh, a little bit, yeah. No, I, I have to admit to it, but I'm, <laughs> I, I did solder it together. I mean, it's just soldering, but I, I did solder it together. And it, it is, but it is QWERTY. <laughs> but it's funny that you say that because that feeling, I think you nailed it exactly because I don't know whether it's, you know, Dvorak or just a new keyboard, but there's like this month where I went to a split keyboard where I'm not super duper fast, but I was a lot slower than I normally am typing. And, and when I made the transition to functional programming, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Clojure's a, a Lisp and it's functional. Um, how's that? I said, well, the Lisp part was pretty easy compared to, to the adjustment in functional thinking, but it was that same sort of, oh, I'm pushing a boulder uphill. This, I'm just, I'm really, and then you break through and you're like, oh yeah, this is, at least my, I won't speak for everyone. My experience was that it has been a very, a very positive thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm referring to the functional programming here as well. The, the keyboard, the honestly, the jury is still out on that one, but yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And, uh, and, and you know, the truth is like, I think about this a lot, like all these different languages. Because we talk about languages a lot on this show, and we talk about languages a lot amongst my uh, group of friend computer languages. And mm-hmm. and you know, obviously, people get right boatloads of useful software in all sorts of languages, right? So it's oh, it's, I'm non-denominational. Like I may work for Microsoft the last several years, but I worked not Microsoft for much longer than I did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you, 
I always say, if you find the language of your soul, you know, do your thing, you yeah. know, use what makes you happy. But, you know, on the F sharp side came from ML and closure descended from Lisp. So they have a different kind of a style, right? With F sharp, it feels more like OCaml and there's more static typing and pattern matching and closure, you know, has more macros and uh, S expressions and stuff. So it's uh, French versus German. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if you go back far enough, you can find where they connected, but they, they feel different in your mouth. Yeah. Well, I won't bug you about F sharp too much uh, more. I, it sounds like you've had a chance to use it. Um, I'll, we'll have to. We'll actually. We should find someone to talk to talk about F sharps on the show sometime. I think that would be super interesting for our listeners. We'll get Don Syme or Robert Pickering or any yeah. of the F sharp people. Absolutely, Matt. I know Matt Podwasaki. I think he might be willing. to Podwasaki was a lovely gentleman. He you should definitely have. I one. agree. Uh, the, I, I guess I will briefly ask you. Um, I suspect the answer is no, and that's totally okay. Is have you done any uh, program with Closure at all? I have not. Okay. No problem. I will, you know, I'll just recommend you, you try it sometime. In the, you're going to keep that in the show? That's where people just click off. Everyone just hits stop. No. Pulled over their cars and they're like, ah, this show. No, 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 no. I have, I have much more respect for our listeners than that. <laughs> they, no, no, seriously. Like I, I knew, so I definitely wanted to have you on the show. I didn't, it wasn't on to say, let's find out if Hanselman knows closure because, I mean, I just look at the list of things you've done. You know, there's two big things I would love to still talk to you about. Let's get to at least one of them here. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, what's that? No, I was just thinking about, I'm thinking, you know, you're making me think about all the language I haven't got around to doing. You well, know what likewise. I mean? Well, like there's like, there's Iron Scheme, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the closest thing to Closure on yep. .NET, you know, because it's descended from Iron Lisp. Well, we have Closure F-Sharp CLR, actually. F-Sharp is more actually. like Scala. What's that? There's Closure CLR. Is Closure CLR farther along than Iron Scheme? I don't, I haven't tried Iron Scheme, so I couldn't say. I do know that Closure CLR is um, fairly mature. Uh, it's, oh. It tracks the... Mass, the, clo- the closure JVM pretty well. In fact, there was a presentation at Strange Loop, which is an amazing conference for anybody that hasn't. Uh, they, uh-huh. People have heard me gush; it's really good. Mm-hmm. But someone did a presentation there where they um, used Closure CLR running on Mono to automate Unity 3D to get like a REPL experience for th- uh, 3D games type programming. Mm-hmm. Super cool stuff. But uh, Closure CLR. I, it, it, the thing that I would like to see more about Closure CLR is more people contributing. You know what I mean? Because it's it's basically six six seven people, Rich Hickey and you know three or four other people, primarily doing most of the work on Closure CLR and in the uh, David Miller. Yes. Uh, and that's basically it. You know what I mean? Like if one if this person gets hit by a bus, then that thing dies. Yeah, David Miller is David definitely. David Miller doesn't. You know, if he gets hit by a bus, then what happens? Right. No, he's definitely driving force there. And I, I can't speak for him officially in any capacity, but I suspect if there were people out there that wanted to contribute and they approached him, he would, he would welcome the help. So Yeah, I, yeah. So I just I think that's amazing that he's doing that. But what happens if he just loses interest one day? You know what I mean? Well, that's, I think, where the, the, um, the thing that uh, – and I, I'm completely spacing on the, the people's name who did this Unity 3D thing. That actually has some really interesting capabilities, and it could be um, – and I'm using air quotes here on a podcast once again. But it's really good to use air quotes on a podcast. It is great, right? Like that's actually – I should talk – this is another thing I want to talk to you about this podcast. But is um, it could, it's a killer app I think because you know, that's a really cool application. It's only accessible – Unity 3D is only accessible through the .NET interface. But we can use the aspects of Clojure that are really nice with immutability and the REPL and everything. So yeah, no, I'd love to – there's nothing about Clojure CLR getting more – attention and uh, contributions, that's a bad thing from where I sit. So that'd be cool. Yeah. 
but I, but, but you know, like you said, air quotes on a podcast, I have much to learn from you. I, I looked at your, your list of podcasts and I was blown away that the episode number on, I think it's Hansel Minutes was like 430 something. You've obviously done this uh, rather a lot and been quite successful with it. In fact, the thing well, every, that... Every Thursday for the last 500 episodes, yeah. Yeah. We do about rough... I mean, we don't have a set schedule, which I, I think would be a lovely thing to get to, but... Yeah. You, you know, we've done about 70, so you're, you're way ahead of us. But I, I got to say, um, the thing that finally reminded me, oh, yeah, right, I should get Scott on the show because I thought it before, was there was a Twitter uh, stream in which somebody said, hey, everybody... Who are your favorite podcast hosts? And far and away on on that thread, person that people cited was you. Oh. Um, so, you know, I, I've enjoyed your shows. I've I've listened to quite a number of the episodes you've done over the years. What what do you what do you attribute that to? Like, what what is the thing that you're doing that makes people say the Hanselman guy? He is producing stuff I want to listen to. Well, that's very kind. Um... Two things I think make a uh, a good podcast. One, consistency really cannot be underestimated. Like quality, quality first, but consistency is like a close second. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's so many people who start great podcasts, do six episodes, and then say, you know, oh well, we couldn't really do it because we started traveling or whatever. Right. It's one of those things you 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 have to put the time in. Like there, you you find time to eat every day, right? You find time to work out and hug your kids. If you care about something, do it every day. For some reason, people love to start podcasts and stop and stop them. I decided I wanted to do it, and it was a marathon, and I did not set up a system that was um, unsustainable. So every Thursday, we do a podcast, and it gets out every Thursday. So you just do it, period. And that's why consistency is so important, because if your show comes out at totally unrelated, totally... Uh, non-predictable times, then it's like, you're making me work to find you as mm. opposed to, so uh, also for a commute, right? The show is a commute time show. It's 30 minutes long, time boxed. Doesn't, guarantees not to waste your time. That, that was a goal of the show. That was one of the aspects of the minutes part of Hansel Minutes, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk for 90 minutes and give you 20 minutes of content. The second thing is really caring about what the audience is trying to get out of it. I very, I've actually got a number of really nice compliments from people who said that they like the show because I'm not trying to be the smartest person on the show. Like sometimes you'll you'll see people interviewed on on CNN or on the news or in different shows, and it's like, who's trying to be smart here? The person who came on the show or the host? You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. sometimes I listen to Science Friday, and uh, Ira Flato uh, is the host of that show. You know, and bless him, he does an amazing job, but. It's like he tries to be an expert on everything, and I can't tell if he just read the Wikipedia page about the topic that he's learning. It's like, I don't think you have a degree in string theory. Why don't you let the guy who does talk? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So on the, show, on the Hansel Minutes, I go out of my way to ask dumb questions because I know the audience is thinking those questions. So I will take the hit for them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that doesn't hurt me. I'm not feeling sad at all. I don't know the answer to that question. I will abs Or even if I do know the answer, I'll still ask it. And I'll let the person answer because that's why they're listening to the show. The show's not about me. It's about, it's about the guests. That's good Does advice. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. No, I mean, I, 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 do, I do strive for those, those same things. Uh, we don't do the uh, – so, you know, for us, like the, the, uh, the premise as, we, as you and I were talking about before the show is 
conversations with interesting people. So we actually mm-hmm. shoot for a longer time frame because sure. to yeah. me that's a natural. But I, I but I actually have people say have said, hey man, if you could make it fit into my commute, that would be great. Yeah, um, and I've toyed with the idea of doing things like splitting episodes into into two pieces that are twenty five minutes a piece or whatever. But but you know, I think the bigger point is definitely the one you made, which is you know. Somebody asked me at one point what my advice for interviewing people was, and I said, well, number yeah. one is be nice, right? Well, it, yeah. takes, it takes a lot of work to get someone to stay in their driveway. You've right. heard about the driveway moments. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just listening, and I had to sit in the driveway for a half an hour. Very, very, very few shows will cause me to do that. Yeah, I got a great compliment from somebody who said that uh, he missed a turn. <laughs> like he, See, that's a great he compliment. failed to uh, – that, that, that was great. That was really, really nice to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of time, we should probably start to veer towards closing. But I, before we do that, I want to make sure that, that we talk about at least one more thing because it's a very important thing that you have talked uh, extremely eloquently about and uh, publicly about, which is uh, diabetes. I, uh, anybody that's um, followed you at all knows that you're a, a type 1 diabetic and you've mm-hmm. done a lot to explain to people what exactly that means um, I wonder if you would mind for any of our listeners that might not be familiar with, with what the disease entails, either talk about your experience or, or talk about what you've done to, I mean, just, you know, I know you have a story to tell about diabetes. I don't want to take it out of your mouth. If you could, if you could tell part of that story, that would be great to get that message out to a few more people. The message that it exists? Or? Well, I guess, so let me ask a specific question then, right? Which is one of the most memorable things I've seen on your blog is, is, is when you've done videos or posts about what it means to be a diabetic. Um, ah, I, I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, I certainly am not looking for anyone's pity, but if you're going to pity anyone, pity the kids that have diabetes. They don't have the the tools that we have. I, I've been diabetic, type 1 diabetic for 20 years. I'm on a an insulin pump and also a thing called a CGM, which is a an implant, a battery that I implant in my, you know, my arm uh, every three or four days that tells me what my blood sugar is. Diabetes is a really, really misunderstood thing, and there's there's type two diabetes, which like you know your nana has, and then there's type one diabetes that I have, and they are unfortunately named the same thing, and they have nothing to do with each other, you know. So there's the not working out and kind of eating crap for your whole life, plus a little bit of genetics, and then you can become type two diabetic. This is when you have someone who's um, not using insulin very efficiently. And then type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune series of disorders where your body simply makes no insulin at all. Type 2 diabetes can be, uh, is often referred to as a lifestyle disease. So very, very often, I'm not trying to be too, too declarative here, but almost always you can walk it off, as they say. You know, you can change your lifestyle and cure yourself of type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes, while lifestyle very, very much improves it, is a much more severe thing, especially in, in, in children. And uh, it'll kill you quick if you're not careful. Um, but I've got a number of things if people are interested. If they go to the, my blog at Hanselman.com and go to the diabetes section, I've got videos that explain it, and I talk at conferences about it. And uh, if you happen to have a diabetic child or interested in diabetes, also take a look at Night Scout, nightscout.info. It's an open source uh, node and Android system for monitoring blood sugar remotely, which people might be interested in. It's definitely a topic that's much longer than the conclusion of a, of a podcast, though. Right, 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 yeah. I did want to make sure we mentioned it, though, because I know you're trying to raise money and wanted to make I'm people aware of that. I'm always trying to raise money, indeed. Right. 
Um, yeah, people go to Hanselman.com uh, slash fight diabetes. Um, you can hear my story. You can see my videos. And if you're interested, uh, donate. Great. Well, people should definitely do that. And I will, I will be dropping by there later myself to do so um, since I have not lately. Well, cool. Scott, you, like I said, I have not had the chance to talk to you much and I am regretting it even more now that we have, <laughs> but it's probably time as we, as we were kind of alluding to earlier to start to steer towards conclusion. But I want to make sure that before we do uh, wrap up that I give you a chance to, and I've been asking the questions, but if there's anything that you think we should talk about, we have as much time as we need to do that. No, no hard stops. Is there, is there anything else you'd like to discuss on the show today? Uh, I'm pretty good. Okay, cool. Well, we will definitely have to have you back. I mean, I think the sad fact of a podcast, even at the length we do that, you know, there's never enough time to talk to the interesting people that we have on as much as I would like to. So if you, if you can fit us into your clearly, um, insane schedule sometime, it would be, it would be great to have you back on the show to talk with us some more. Would you maybe be willing to do that? Uh, of course, that's very kind. That'd be cool. No, it was great. Um, I super enjoyed the conversation, but I do have one more question for you as we do at the end of the show here, which is what song should we play you out on? Ooh, different from the one that we played in on. Um, well, no one's ever picked the same one twice, but um, so well, I will give you. One. I will. Uh, I will give you uh, another one from Samus, just because I think she's great and I'm into her right now. Uh, we'll do. We did Crown on the opening, and we'll do uh, Mae Jemison. Do you know who Mae Jemison is? I don't. I don't know. You're a bad person. I am. Uh, Mae Jemison uh, was an American, is an American physician, and she was the first African American woman to travel in space. Oh, okay. She went on to the Endeavor in 1992. And so she's the subject of the song. Is that correct? She is the subject of the uh, the rap by Samus. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks again a ton for taking the time to come on the show. I mean, I think people got a glimpse of all the things you're doing, and so obviously it was great that you were able to make. Uh, make time for us today because we really appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, it's been super cool to talk to you, and I, I do hope genuinely to um, find myself in a place where I can have another discussion with you again sometime in the near future. Um, whether that's on the show or off, it would be it would be great to talk to you. But uh, but thanks so much for coming on the show, Scott. It's been great to have you. Cool. And we will thank our listeners as well. This has been the Cognicast. You have been listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is a production of Cognitech Inc., whom you can find on the web at cognitech.com and on Twitter at Cognitech. Our guest today was Scott Hanselman on Twitter at S Hanselman, S H A N S E L M A N. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production by Russ Olson. Our producer is Kim Foster, and I'm your host, Craig Andera. Thanks for listening. I'm a kick ass, making trick snap like Kit Kats. Drop kicking hacks that I pimp slap like slick back. Crack ribs that laugh till my abs have a six pack. I'm the fifth element mixed with Mae Jemison. All you fake feminists pissed the stay jealous. Men telling me it's suicide. Well, it's do or die. I be fighting like Budokai for you and I. I'm the fifth element mixed with Mae Jemison. You fake feminist piss the state jealous men telling me it's suicide. Well, it's do or die. I be fighting like Budokai for you and I. Hey, now I'm strapped in, feeling kind of trapped in the first class cabin. I'm the crew and the captain. I feel the blast, now I'm nervous, I'm gasping. Sky getting black like reverse Michael Jackson. Next is the absence of gravity's attraction. My assets are latch, it's a natural reaction. Zoom past the moon.
Thank <laughs> you.